0: Hello and welcome to the Dive Deep Climb High podcast. I'm Mel Luizu and together with my guests we explore all different aspects of leadership in higher education. With inspiring stories, practical tips and a little bit of fishiness, this show will help you dive deep into the leader you are and climb high unleashing your power and potential. Dive deep Climb high, can do leadership in a world of can't. Before we get started today, I wanted to let you know about a brand new event I will be running with my colleague, Hilary Thomas. Our 24 hour reset, refocus, rejuvenate retreat will take place on the 10th of November. Designed to help you carve out some much needed space and time to focus on you and your goals, you will leave feeling energized and revitalized. Head on over to the Dive Deep Climb High website for more information. Today, we're going to be taking a deep dive into mental health. This is an incredibly important topic, made even more pertinent by the fact that this episode will be going out at a time when many young people are either returning to university or taking their first steps into the world of higher education. It's my absolute honour and privilege to be speaking with my guest today, who is CEO at Student Minds, the UK's student mental health charity. In 2019, she was awarded an OBE for her services to mental health in higher education. Please welcome the incredible Rosie Tressler. Hi, Rosie.
1: Hi, Mel. Very generous intro. Thank you very much. Yeah, as you say, it's a time when lots of students are getting ready to move or going back to uni. So,
0: so important that we have this conversation today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I know that Student Minds is well known within the higher education sector. And that many people will already know you. But for those people that don't, could you share a little bit about your history and how you've ended up at Student Minds? Yeah, absolutely.
1: I think probably like a lot of people, you feel very shaped, don't you, by your family and those kind of early experiences. So I definitely think in, in my home growing up, my parents instilled kind of a social justice lens I suppose to my life and experiences so that has been with me but also when I was a student that then became a really big driver for me of wanting to continue working within higher education and and um, in particularly on mental health and um, so I went to uni and um, to study English and history and that is learning a lot actually about people throughout history who have tried to create change on things that they didn't think were right and I think that's definitely given me a lot of I don't know a lot of energy to try and be involved with with something that I felt was important and I was really lucky whilst I was at uni to get involved with lots of students union activities and then become like women's officer and then to become a a sabbatical officer so that's where you're you work full-time for the students union whereas the equal opportunities and welfare officer so that kind of gave me a lot of opportunity to explore my own views and my own identity as well and think about what mattered to me um i think that's probably when i also started to think a bit more about how i needed to look after my own mental health i think it's when i was able to articulate more about my own identity and preferences so being more open about like being bisexual as well and um how that shapes your experience of the world as well and um, but i think also a real appreciation that it was a real privilege also to be able to study and not have a lot of the concerns that a lot of my fellow students did. So although I was like the first in my family to go to university, I'd gone to a private school, which I think, you know, means I've always been really aware of like the advantage that that gives you. But also then, I suppose, a deep feeling of how do we make sure that anyone feels that like they can belong in any situation. And how do you really tackle those inequalities, which are so ingrained from so early on in people's lives and experiences? So all of that, I think, made me pull towards the charity sector and join this tiny little charity that was getting started to help students campaign about mental health. And, you know, I worked for this really little project and then it merged with another project and we rebranded as Student Minds. And I have I just had the opportunity to kind of grow up with the charity, really, to do Lots of different roles, so from campaigning to developing programs and training, and then eventually becoming the chief exec. So yeah, I've kind of been able to be in an organisation where I've really been able to just keep learning and developing, and and no year has felt the same as the next. And um, so that's a little bit, I suppose, about how I ended up at Student Minds, but very much, you know, I think when you work on a particular cause its relevance becomes even clearer over time. You know, the more you're in it, the more you realise, yeah, okay, that's maybe a little bit as to why I'm kind of pulled towards this issue or that particular um, experience. So, yeah, a great place for me to have worked in, definitely.
0: Fantastic. What a great story. And I suppose it's interesting, isn't it? And we'll explore this a little bit later. But as the organisation has grown, so you've grown. And that's a really interesting concept. But I guess where I'd like to start is in that time, since you were a student and working when Student Minds was a tiny little organisation, how have you seen mental health change and our views of mental health change within the sector as well? I think it's changed hugely. So, you know, when
1: Student Minds started just over a decade ago, we were trying to set up um, peer support groups of students who experienced eating difficulties and then students who experienced low mood, mild depression. I think that was a lot of kind of knocking on doors and kind of trying to explain why is it really important that actually students have a strong voice in the, their support? Um, why is it important that students can be involved in decision making around an institution's strategy on mental health? And I think the dynamics definitely feel like they've shifted hugely in that time. So in general society there's been a lot of campaigning by lots of different organizations and individuals and you know we have seen in in some areas an improvement in terms of people's understanding of mental health and their literacy um, general understanding of what actually affects how I'm feeling and how can I shift that perhaps day to day and also I think there has been a reduction in stigma towards some areas of mental health I don't think we're there fully I think there are some areas of mental health where people have still perhaps not been as exposed to you know understanding about treatments and support and recovery and still have a few assumptions based on historic things that they've heard in films or TV or what have you. But generally, we've seen that kind of broader shift. And then within higher education itself, I think, to go from that period when we felt like we were really knocking on the doors and students coming to us feeling quite frustrated often about experiences they've had to now, where we have a lot of different major schemes and projects in place um, that are you know, ensuring that mental health really is a strategic priority for the whole of the sector. And that's reflected in what universities are doing. We can see that. We can see from what they're investing in. We can see from whether they're participating in things like the University Mental Health Charter, which we run and I, I can talk more about later. So, yeah, I think a big shift. And also seeing that echoed throughout staff as well. You know, I think we've seen more university staff in the sector as well, engaging in discussions around workplace well-being more than perhaps were a decade or, or two ago but as you would expect me to say I still think we have a long way to go you know to get to a point where you really feel all members of the community can get rapid access to support when they need it know how to support someone else feel it's okay to talk about their own experiences without really trying to filter and perhaps not feel they'll be accepted by others yeah I think it's still going to take probably probably many years before we're at that point yeah and and dealing with the inequalities as well sorry I just just thinking you know I always think it's important to talk about progress because that gives people hope that change is possible but there are of course lots of communities in higher education who are still feeling like there are very embedded inequalities that Mean that they'd have different experiences in education, you know, different outcomes, and that feel like a lot of the infrastructure around them isn't designed for them or with them in mind. And so, you know, I'm very aware there'll be some people that are listening and thinking, well, I haven't seen that kind of positive change that you're talking about either. So there'll be such a
0: spectrum of experiences, won't there? Absolutely. I think you are right. And I think about my journey in higher education, definitely. There is more being done. There is more awareness. But like you say, there is a lot more that people can do. And As your charity is set up to do, it is looking at those, those more difficult challenges, isn't it? And tackling those and also getting a holistic approach, which I'm guessing is what your charter is about. So would you like to tell us more about that? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So, I mean, as we've grown, we've kind of expanded from some of that s- sort of really important student-led work we're talking about. We recognize to really see the kind of change that was needed, we would, you know, not only work with individuals. I mean, that's that will always be really important to us, I think, and that co-production will always be really at our core. But we recognize the changes that are needed are both They're at an individual level, but then they're at the whole institution level. And then they're at a national level as well. So what are the things that the government are doing or that are happening globally that we need to be influencing as well? Because your mental health is impacted by so many different things about your wider environment and interactions with others. So. I mean, today, we see our role as being very much to support and challenge the higher education sector, the health sector, the government, and make sure that they are really working with students and that they are accountable um, to students and prioritising student mental health. So the main way in which we do that is through the University Mental Health Charter. And it was something that, you know, had been an idea, like a little seed of an idea for the charity for a number of years. But the idea of designing a, a program that would try and really lift the bar in every single university. It's a huge undertaking, right? So I think we had to have like the kind of ideal conditions. I think things were moving in a positive direction. We'd worked with a lot of the membership bodies in higher education, um, like Universities UK on a step change framework, which had started to set out what leaders might need to do to make mental health more a priority in their university. So there there was sort of the mood, if you like, in the sector was already starting to really look at this. And then I suppose for us with the charter, it was like, right, we've now got this opportunity, I think, to really look at how do we see a, a constant improvement? And we felt the values that we had in place for that program were going to be absolutely critical. So it had to be something that was truly developed with the sector that was really owned by the brilliant individuals who work within it that was shared by students and staff and so we did this huge roadshow which was great fun as well as being hard work so we went all <laughs> around all the nations of the UK we spoke with thousands of members of the community about all aspects of a university system and how it impacts on mental health and wellbeing. And from that, combined with the literature review, we were able to set out for the first time a really comprehensive framework of what actually is a whole university approach to mental health. And the reality is that all universities already have a whole university approach to mental health, whether it's planned or not. But this was about being really deliberate and saying, where is the best available evidence and knowledge from our community as to what needs to be in place to really set up the whole community to to thrive? And that framework was published in 2019, the end of the year. Um, And from then it's been about, okay, so having a framework and and principles of good practice is one thing, but then how do you truly implement this approach? Um, So we designed a program of support where universities can access webinars and in-person training, ongoing support from our team and through their journey, setting up communities of practice on particular themes so you know if they've got an issue that they're finding really hard like for example how to get clinical governance right or how to really support staff wellbeing. they can come together with similar institutions and kind of share their learning with them and then when they're ready the university can say right we want to be assessed we want to go through a process which tells us how are we doing And that's really detailed. That's when they write their own assessment of themselves against the charter framework. We then send an assessment team comprising of professionals and students who really scrutinize and meet with staff across the institution on a site visit. And then we give them a report back, which tells them, well, this is how we think you're doing across all of our criteria and whether we will be putting them forward for an award or whether they've not yet achieve the award, but instead they're getting loads of really good recommendations back from us for how to keep improving and the hope that they will come back in future years and be ready to get that kind of recognition for all their hard work. Because this is like deep culture change that we're asking institutions to go through. It's not a simple set, it's not a kite mark, it's not a simple set of criteria. It is really, really stretching criteria that universities need to really think through and the only way to really achieve that is if they actually work in a really joined up way with staff and students across the institution on those plans so yeah it's been the kind of flagship program for the charity it's been not without its challenges because you, you know you're building a team and you're scaling it up and the political interest is always rising so you do all this fabulous modeling of this is how we're going to do this and this is how many students will join each year and then there's a lot of more interest and you have to keep responding to it and I have to give credit to our fab team for responding to that and kind of taking it in their stride but to be at a point today where we've got you know, 61 universities already on the program. We've got seven who've achieved the award and we'll have many more going through that process in the months and years to come. I think it's definitely something that I hope everyone who's ever been involved with our organization feels really proud of because I can think back to, you know, so many individuals who have played a part in that process. They might not even realize the events they've had, you know, like some of the students who are like on our first advisory board and things like that, that, who have kept the energy and and told us to keep going and make these ideas happen so I do hope a lot of people feel you know proud excited definitely not resting on our laurels though because I know there's a lot of universities we still need to see engaging in in that real deep change that i was speaking about but yeah it feels like an important milestone that we're at, at the moment
0: The passion with which you talk about that is is just absolutely awe-inspiring. And I think that you're absolutely right. It is that holistic approach. And also, you know, we know working in the sector, often it can feel within an institution that there are all these people doing good, good work, but sometimes the bit that's lacking is that bit of bringing it together. And sort of getting that synergy that can happen when all those people get in a room and, and they work towards a, a common goal or a, a common purpose. So not only are you raising the flag of mental health, but actually you're encouraging them to work collaboratively in a way that will help them in other aspects of what they have to do as well. So that is really incredible and 61 universities signed up is is amazing yeah it's amazing as you say there's still a a lot more out there but actually 61 is is really fantastic yeah
1: and I know for every university who is on that program that's a huge decision you know because it's not just about them investing in being on the program and thinking that they're going to have to go for this assessment so it is all of that work they're going to have to do as you say to bring colleagues together um and it's always been really important to our team when we were designing the University Health Charter as well, that this didn't throw out other really important initiatives as well, because, you know, sometimes that can happen in, in, in any organisation, you have your strategic priorities that you are going to, you know, really focus on. Um, but the way that we conceptualise mental health and speak about it throughout the Charter framework is real understanding of the... And inequalities that exist, there's a whole section of the charter which talks about intersectionality and how it relates to some of the other important culture change work that the sector needs to do as well. So I think there will be lots of different ways that institutions decide to approach these issues, but I think that was something, again, that was that was really important to us to make sure that this complemented and really supported some of those other, as we see it, completely interrelated issues. So
0: yeah you're right
1: it is it's good to celebrate the the progress
0: now <laughs> absolutely so bringing this to you more personally then obviously from starting at ground level as it were and then that journey that you've been on to ceo from all your experience what does leadership mean to you i've
1: always found this quite Difficult, and you know, you do some training courses as well, and you you try to think more about this. But um, I guess I've always felt like leadership could be about anybody. You know, I know because we work with so many incredible student leaders, and I'm a big proponent of getting more students and young people onto decision-making forums and boards. So for me, it's been yeah, using uh, anyone who can bring people together behind a common goal and provide hope that that can be achieved and support that process, but. I think over the years, some of the things that have become more important to me would be inclusion. As I said earlier, I think that's something that I feel very much in my core already, but being honest that, you know, there have been some areas of thinking about inclusion that I've been more knowledgeable about, and there's been other areas where it's been about really learning and really challenging yourself to think, are we truly being as inclusive as we could be, you know, within our own organization, within our own teams. So um, I think feel very lucky because I joined a mental health charity where we did lots of training with students around like listening skills and active listening and kind of coaching and motivational interviewing techniques and things that challenge you to kind of take up less space and ask more and listen more I God, I'm really glad I learned that when I did because I think I could have been just otherwise a bit more of a chatterbox I mean I feel like I'm doing that now but yeah like actually learning that that is skills I think is absolutely critical when it comes to to helping organizations develop through a time where there's lots of different kind of social justice issues at the Forefront of discussion in this country and globally so yeah for me I think it is about working out how to be a truly inclusive individual who makes space and creates the an environment where different perspectives and opinions can really, come through and I'm sure I've had moments where I've done that more successfully than others Um, I think is also about being really relevant to actually what is going on in the world and I think sometimes it's easy to say oh that's a bit that's outside of our scope or that's a bit too big and I've seen that a lot when it comes to talking about things like um the climate crisis where it's understandable that a lot of organizations think well this is you know something that how much can we influence it and so on but I actually think that that is avoiding what is going to be the biggest issue affecting every single individual and every single organization so I think if you're inclusive and you're really listening you're then going to be relevant you're going to be working on the things that matter so that for me is also about being leaders about and being truly relevant, I get to spend lots of time with students, you know, listening to what they care most about. And that helps me really feel like I am staying relevant as a leader. I'm not trying to kick something down the road that actually is right here, right now. And then I guess all of that links to being courageous. And this is something actually that we set out as a team, we set out as a core value at Student Minds. And um, several years ago now and I think at the time it was a bit more of an aspirational value to us we knew in our gut we wanted to be more courageous and brave but we were probably still working out how powerful is our voice and I think we've realized actually we have a stronger voice and influence you know we're not this tiny little charity operating out a very small room anymore you know so I think yeah leadership as well for me is about being courageous that means you don't always take the easy option it means sometimes you do things or you have to convey things that aren't popular or will disappoint some people and it means that you have to be willing to sit with dealing with a lot of risk I think all the time I think I'm constantly thinking about lots of different risks but not letting that stop you from doing and advocating for the things that you know are are, are right so that I guess over time there's some things that have felt more important to me as a leader and what I I guess have valued in the leaders that I've met as well and also I think the more leaders you interact with the more you realize what kind of leader you want to be and what kind of leader you don't want to be as well I sometimes like note down for myself when I've had like a difficult day at work like just some reflections and it's interesting you realize what really jars with you and when you've seen certain behavior or actions taken in other environments that you think this is not how I would want to be so yeah like lots of learning all the time I think and I I, I suppose I still don't really feel like I've quite worked out what the next stage is for leadership for me either so I think because we've grown from being a, a small charity with a couple of us to a much bigger organization where we've got a core staff team around 30 but now we've got you know hundreds of staff that have train with us on our programs or we've got big assessment teams and I think I'm still working out that balance between what you do internally with an organization what you do like across a sector so how much work I do with the wider mental health charity sector with the wider charity sector as a whole wider higher
0: education
1: yeah I'm still kind of working out what does the next sort of stage look like I think
0: yeah. I don't think as leaders we should ever stand still. There's a continuous development and involvement. As you were speaking there, I just thought, oh my goodness, what a, what a tremendous journey you've been on, but also one that you've interacted with and you've kept wanting to meet the challenges and learn and develop and, and grow. And that's all that any of us can hope to do. Amazing. I'm sure that you are an inspiration for a lot of people without a shadow of a doubt.
1: Oh, I don't know. I think is the thing that actually to have real impact, you need to be more comfortable putting yourself out there and being more public and doing things. But it's not something that I would say comes naturally to me, you know, because it does tap into some of that original motivation that I was getting at, you know, for someone who has experienced things like anxiety, the actual thought of like, your beliefs about this being public and then being open to you know how that gets scrutinized or used is quite scary but I
0: appreciate your your positive reinforcement as well now thank you you are being courageous as you say and that's what we all want to do isn't it so when have you had to dive deep? I mean, you've shared some of it, but I'm wondering if there's a specific example that you can share with us where you've had to dive deep and what impact that had on you.
1: Yeah, I was mulling on this. And I do feel like I kind of get to something like this probably about every six months. (laughs) I think I had one just before we were about to speak as well, where I was kind of, I felt like I'd really pushed through a certain period of time and, and a learning for me of kind of building in a bit more kind of holiday and breaks and things but I feel like I have these moments yeah about every six months where I think oh gosh that was really hard and I think the one that comes to mind as still being quite fresh but still I guess still feeling it a little bit was during COVID and basically during the kind of fight of COVID and the pandemic we built a website called Student Space and this is full of wellbeing resources, and mental health services. And we were able to help thousands of students during that period and, and the website still continues. Um, so it might have helped students dealing with grief or managing difficult symptoms. Um, we had specific partnerships with services who could then help students if they were struggling with pressures around sexuality or gender identity, tailored support for students from racialized backgrounds. So for example, support for Punjabi and Muslim students. And then we also had um, particular provision for students experiencing a range of mental health conditions which we know were exacerbated during COVID as well. So for students with um, eating difficulties, experiencing OCD or psychosis as well. So all of when you think about how much the na- natural kind of peer support systems that students would usually have access to were so disrupted. So I think it felt really important that we were playing a role in supporting students dealing through that really difficult time. But I think when we actually got the contract, and this was a huge contract through the office for students to provide this whole suite of support, you know, we were under a really difficult time pressure where we had to make sure we were up and running for the next academic year. So we actually only had several weeks in which to go from something being a concept and an idea into being a fully fledged, up and running, safe and effective programme. And I think, you know, I'm really grateful for everyone we were able to partner in that time. There was lots of people and there's lots of people who don't get the credit for that. But there was lots of different organisations and individuals who were really hard behind the scenes to make sure there was some dedicated support for students and I hope it also supported the higher education community because they had that assurance there was something else they could signpost to but there was that moment of when you know contracts are signed and you're going into kind of project management mode where I just definitely felt that feeling of this is going to be incredibly hard the team was all working remotely because obviously we were in the pandemic (laughs) a lot of us were dealing with our own challenges during that period in terms of the emotional impacts of COVID or might have dealt with our own losses and bereavements as well so I think well I know because I did write a little bit during that time I know that I was feeling at that time a lot of pressure and expectation to be driving this and to be achieving a certain amount and I remember thinking I, I don't know if I have the energy to do this right now and feeling like all those contradictions as a leader One day being like, I feel very hopeful, and the next day being like, This is really painful, you know, and then the next day being like, I feel really like energetic, and the next day, I'm just exhausted, and all of these things. And yeah, feeling like the challenges of also juggling this big program with how political we could be during that period as well. And it's a very difficult line for charities, but. You know, we were all watching the news. We were all seeing what was going on. And how do we make sure that we get our voice heard about the concerns we have for our community? But also we're working in partnership with lots of different organisations on delivering this programme. So it just felt like every day there was new challenges. And I suppose like the way of dealing with that was, you know, again, go back to the team. Like the team were amazing. And we brought in a, um, some different experts to help us on particular things that we needed. So again, it's that thing of asking for help, isn't it? Like I was able to ask someone for help to help me identify someone who had got real expertise in that kind of more like digital and agile working and bring that kind of culture into our team during that period. And yeah, we pulled together and we did do it. And I will always feel incredibly proud that the team pulled together to, to pull that off. And I know that that has made a difference to so many people's lives. Um, but there was—it was definitely that point where you, you sat with gun charts and budgets and long documents, and you're going, "How do I lead through this? How do I model good well-being as well, whilst also feeling like, wow, we've really got a lot of pressure on our shoulders right now?" Um, so yeah, very grateful to all our students and staff and partners in that time who were kind of willing to sit with us in it and I, I say all of this knowing that this was a time which was so much worse for anyone who was in like a frontline service who was doing any of the work within the NHS or the kind of care homes and all of that you know I mean the trauma and I worry about it as a as someone who works in mental health that I think there is so much trauma that people have experienced that hasn't really fully been processed or dealt with and I've seen that. I know a lot of people who work in the health system where bless them, they just had to kind of carry on for the next thing. So I just think that the weight of all of that period is there. And I, I feel to a smaller extent that many will have done, but I, I recognize it. And it has taken me a bit of time to regain my kind of hope and energy from some of that time as well. So but that's probably the honest
0: answer to when I felt I had to do that and what it felt like. Oh, thank you very much for for sharing that and i think you are right i think that we haven't yet seen the full impact of covid and the trauma that everyone had to deal with whether it was small or or big you know that will come out in years to come so for you sitting here now and reflecting back on that time what would be your biggest learning if that were to occur again in the future or something similar to that? What would be your biggest learning that you would apply? I suppose this is a simple thing, but it is about the people you're
1: surrounded with, isn't it? It's about if you, I know there's plenty books written about this, but if you have a team that has really different and diverse skills and experiences and you tap into Lots of other, you know, partnerships and sectors where they have all of this. The learning is it you can do things that you think are going to be impossible. That when you're looking in project manager mode at your um, spreadsheets and going how how, <laughs> how how we can do this, <laughs> um, actually you don't actually try and do it all, <laughs> and you actually really think about the brilliant people you have around you and then that you can access and you really work hard and just creating the conditions for those people to do what they do best then yeah it is that small groups of people can actually do huge things and I mean we've been proving that time and time again with our different like projects and programs and I see and I'm inspired by from other organizations as well so yeah I think it's always remembering that when you feel stuck that's probably the reason why you probably feeling like that is because you're probably seeing with it actually that problem at that moment in, on your own rather than sharing it and getting people to kind of wake you up a bit and challenge you a bit as well but also like lots of learning about what else you need to put in place if you are leading you know, I'm doing a course at the on population health leadership and that's working with a lot of people who work across health systems and a lot of the discussions we're having there as well are about what are the things you need to put in place to kind of look after yourself? Because just acknowledging actually driving change, which goes across different systems, it is just objectively really difficult. And you have to put in place a, really deliberately the things that are going to keep you well. And stop you internalising it and ruminating on things. And yeah, so all the things that we do all the time with students, remembering to apply it to yourself, classic.
0: Which sometimes we're not very good at. Yeah. <laughs> so, when have you felt like a fish that climbed a tree?
1: I feel all the time, all the time, Mal. I think also if you, if you work in an organisation that is still growing and developing and there's just a new challenge all the time I would say probably every few weeks there's something where I'm like I haven't seen this one before what what do we do here so I would just say pretty much all the time is that cheating no is that a cheating to not give you a specific example very regularly it's a good (laughs) phrase
0: (laughs) It just helps lighten the load when you're looking again. oh, this is a bit of a challenge. I feel like a fish that climbed a tree. Yeah, <laughs> I will remember that next time it happens,
1: though, and actually be
0: like, this is just one of those moments. I'm just doing that right now. That's OK. Fantastic. Oh, my goodness. What a wonderful conversation. You are clearly so passionate about what you do. And Student Minds is a, a fantastic, fantastic charity how can people find out more about you, get in touch with you, the charity? What's the best way for people to do that? I'd always encourage you to go onto our website,
1: studentminds.org.uk, and you can sign up to our newsletters for regular updates about the work we're doing. Come through there, also contact the team if there's something specific um, that you want to inquire about. But there are lots of different ways for people to get involved. So we have, you know, students get involved with us by blogging and sharing their story. We have Staff who want to go on our training programs to run workshops at their institution. We have obviously colleagues who are looking at the universal Mental health charge and thinking, right, how do we get our institution on this sort of change program? So there's lots of different ways that people can engage and get involved. Um, so, yeah, please do connect with us and all this typical socials things we're on as well. And I am on Twitter still, just about at Rosie Tressler. So, yeah, very happy to connect with people. Online as well, and it just helped, doesn't it?
0: Just meeting other people grappling with these these different challenges as well. Absolutely, and we'll put all those links in the show notes so people can get in touch. so It just leads me to say thank you so so much. I know how busy you are, how much you're taking on. So I really appreciate you taking the time to come and chat with me today. What final words of wisdom would you like to leave people with?
1: Thank you so much, Mel. Thank you for doing this podcast and helping a lot of us navigate all of this. I would say my final word of wisdom is the simple stuff, you know, being deliberate about looking after your own mental health and wellbeing. And, you know, for me, it's a lot about how I make the time, spend time with friends, my partner, and saying no to more stuff without guilt. But also at work, it's making sure that I make time to speak with mentors and coaches and spend time with experts that can Help me learn more things. So it's that. It's building the stuff that keeps you well because we all need it.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Dive Deep, Climb High podcast with me, Mel Luizu. To help build our community of leadership listeners, please leave me an Apple podcast five-star review. Remember, our fishy adventure doesn't have to end here. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Links are in the show notes. Dive deep, climb high, can do leadership in a world of can't.